This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. From the Palmetto Swamps, to the Piney Woods, to the Oak Flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. You're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast, presented by Scree Gear. Uh, Getting to the middle of January now, well past the holidays, and hunting seasons are starting to wind down. Um, Some late season uh, hunting stuff still happening, but I think a lot of guys are probably starting to look forward to the spring and turkey season, and Scree's got some awesome turkey bundles, and in my opinion, the Scree Summit camouflage pattern is as good of a turkey pattern as you can buy and we all know that the eyes and the camouflage is one of the huge factors in turkey hunting and um but you know performance hunting gear was designed for um a lot of mobility and function and stuff and it was all started out west with guys who were doing backcountry and and stuff like that in it but it's translated to the mobile whitetail hunter and to the turkey hunter where you you got cold mornings and warm days and you're walking and you're you know you're you're covering a lot of different terrain or maybe a lot of miles or you know in the springtime the temperature variance throughout the day so performance gear and layering system translates very well to that and uh when it comes to performance layering and it comes to spring camouflage there isn't a company that beats scree in that regard the Scree Summit pattern is an absolutely killer spring turkey pattern. So if you're looking forward to turkey season, making your last deer hunts, and uh, you need some new turkey gear, check out ScreeGear.com. Check out their turkey bundles. Um, they've got some some pretty good packages put together that kind of saves you the guesswork of, hey, what pieces might I need? they got a couple bundles put together that can do it for you and carry you um, all across the country during spring turkey season. So check them out. Follow them online, subscribe to YouTube, social media, learn more about the gear, and shop online at ScreeGear.com. Middle of uh, January, I just returned from the ATA show. Uh, Levi is actually out in Arizona hunting coos deer. Um, they have a late, I, I don't even know if it's late season. Colin, is it late season or is it just coos deer season? I don't. I really don't know. I, we call what, it late what, season. Whatever season it is, uh, 
from the text he sent us last night. Yeah. Sounds like they're doing all right over there. I mean, he said they saw 25-plus deer and an absolute stud. So I don't know anything really about coos deer hunting, but what I've heard is you don't see a lot of them. So from what I what I think I've heard about coos deer hunting, seeing 25 of them in one day is like unbelievable. <laughs> they're on them. Because <laughs> I think that even really good coos deer hunts, you have to hunt really hard just to see a just to see one from what i understand so anyway well i'm sure when he gets back we'll one yeah, of our we'll, one of our uh podcasts in a couple of weeks we'll hear more about it learn, maybe we'll learn something about coos deer. i don't know i was actually going to go on this hunt with him and i waited too long to decide and they sold out of tags to where he the, the area he was going so uh anyway if you're not familiar a coos deer is basically a little bitty whitetail I say little bitty. It's just a small white. I mean, it looks like a white tail. It, they just don't get as big body yeah, or horns. The, the racks, the racks, probably what hundred inches, maybe. I think a hundred inch coos deer is a is a really big coos deer horn wise, and I think they're probably more in the eighty five to one hundred and five pound range. Yeah, like that know. little that little two year old eight point that you see walking around in the woods. Like that's a that's, that's a, a man. <laughs> yeah, that's a man for a coos deer. Yeah. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, some somebody's going to email me if I am mistaken. You can be guaranteed of that. <laughs> but if I'm not mistaken, I think a coos deer and a blacktail deer are very similar, if not the same thing. They just black. They're referred to more as blacktail in certain parts of the country, and referred to as coos deer in other parts. I guess I could Google that. But um, anyway, anyway, that's what Levi's doing. Colin and I are, are, are here at home. I, I actually was at ATA last year, uh, last year, last week. Well, and last year. And last year. <laughs> but last week I was at the ATA show. Um, I saw some cool stuff. Um, I'll say that uh, I shot Bear's new line of bows, and I know that we're not all – those of you who follow the archery industry heavily and – are kind of gear junkies on the archery side of things, know that Bear's kind of been, for a long time, has kind of been the consumer's bow, right? Good bows, but not a lot of things in that really high-end pro-series style bow. You know, basically... Like the best starter bow out there. Yeah, and the the best economical package style bow out. You know, just commanded that market. Where if you were looking for like the latest greatest innovation in the best the best thing that the archery world has to offer, you're looking at the Hoyts, PSEs, Matthews, um, maybe to an extent Elite and Bowtech and all that. And Bayer kind of sat in that range of, I want a really nice bow that's dependable and reliable, but I'm not looking for the highest end. I'm looking for something that I can maybe get in a quality package that shoots good that you know, um, that market and they've commanded it. Well, they still are, but, but what stood out to me with them is that they've now, they've got a couple of new bows and, and Jay talked to us about some of what bear was doing. Cause you know, you guys that listen to this are probably familiar with Jay James. He's been a, a very notable, uh, bow tech guy, not bow tech, the brand bow technician in the state of Louisiana for a long time. And he's, he's gone to work for bear and their execute is kind of their high end bow. 
flagship. And their flagship bow. And it is it's as good as I mean I shot it. It's as good as any of the brands from a flagship perspective. And then that adapt bow that that was uh they partnered with the hunting public on, that thing shoots really good. I mean it it's it's kind of stepped down from flagship level bow, but it's higher end than package bow. And that thing was really nice. Both of those bows were really good. And that Legend XR that Jay talked to us about, man, it wasn't that many years ago. That would have been the best thing I'd ever shot in my life, <laughs> you know, truthfully. So I shot their bows. They were uh, good. I looked at Athens' um, new lineup. And if you don't, our friend Wade Butcher, who's been on the podcast at Swamp Donkey Archery, he's, I think he's the only Athens dealer in Louisiana. They've got a couple of really nice bows coming out. They got some cool looking stuff. To be honest with you, a lot of the big bow companies aren't hitting ATA the way they used to. But they're there. PSE was there. Matthews and Hoyt wasn't there. Um, I actually never got to go over to PSE. Um, I had somebody tell me they had some pretty cool new stuff, but it's a big show and I was working there. I wasn't just looking, so I didn't have that much time. Um, But... um, some of these smaller companies, it's kind of cool because it gives you a chance to to look at and see what they're doing. Couple of yeah. other note, a couple a couple of other things to note. Cruiser has a couple of new products coming out. They do have sticks coming out. They're going to have a carbon fiber and an aluminum. I liked the design. I got to see the prototypes. The other thing that Cruiser's got coming out that's absolutely awesome, and I haven't even told you about this, Colin. They have a backpack, a mobile hunter's backpack. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. They they showed a little snippet of yeah. it on the uh, well, Instagram. I, I got to put my hands on it, and uh, they, they showed me some of the changes they're going to make to it before they come to market, and it is by far the best backpack that I've seen. The best backpack for a whitetail hunter slash mobile archery whitetail hunter that I've seen. They absolutely killed it with that design, and some of the changes they're going to make to it, they're not drastic. They're just kind of like, we had these prototypes made. Now, here's a few little things they're going to do different. They're actually going to make it even better with those changes. And I loved that. Um, the carbon fiber plastic stick from Latitude was cool. Um, we're going we're gonna to talk about that a little bit more with our guests coming up. Um, I'm trying to think of, of some other stuff that I... I don't know if you saw it, but like I said, XOP released like their whole new lineup. yeah. Mm-mm. I saw it. weren't too impressed. <laughs> I wasn't unimpressed, but it was it, I, it was very underwhelming in terms of, you, it was uh... it was like so their stuff first of all the branding side of it, of it, I say branding uh the look and feel of it is very different. Like right. if there was no signage on the booth you would be like who is this? Yep. Like cuz they don't look anything. They they're using like this tannish color instead of their yep. kind of OD green look and it all looks very different um what, what uh what did you think about their uh that stick of theirs did you think did you, were you just like damn did they just spray paint a tethered stick <laughs> or what yeah it w- it was it it looked a whole lot like it honestly every time i went by so i don't understand so i'm a di- i'm 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 rabbit hole and digressing or whatever a little bit here okay I go to all these expos and shows, and I realize they 
Nobody's building a, building a convention center just for these things. But nobody can figure out the traffic flow at these damn things very well. There's always areas that are too busy and then areas that aren't busy enough. It just always is, you know. Yeah. XOP was in the too busy area. And so every time I went by there, there's people. And there was other parts of the show where it wasn't like, this is not. This is a business-to-business show. This isn't a consumer show. So you can't walk in off the street and go to this show. So it's all people in the industry, vendors, retail um buyers and stuff like that so it's never that busy but there was always a lot of people i didn't uh, all that to say i didn't i didn't get to mess with that stick a whole lot but yeah it it looked a a lot like the the tethered stick um but i didn't touch it and feel it enough to to figure out what they may have changed a little bit um their little mobile lock-on stand um uh, Eh. eh, just okay i mean if you're looking if you're looking for a small lighter weight mobile lock-on and you don't want to pay the lone wolf custom gear price it fits that bill but uh it wasn't as light and just as small and more square if that makes sense yeah yep i saw so uh, you know you see a lot of these tree stand companies they almost have a teardrop so that you're getting the width at the end of the platform yeah not by the seat post yeah and so a lot of the xop stuff seemed to be very square as opposed to that shape. And even XOP, like the XOP stand that I have is more that, is not the square shape. That's a new thing. Right. Uh, not, of, not bad. Did, I, I just say, yeah. in summary, not bad with XOP, but I wasn't taken by anything I, new. I think, I think for them it was probably like 50% new products, 50% rebrand. That's kind of how I look at it. Um, yeah, there was an emphasis on the rebranding. Um, I will say that a lot of the products look different. They had a little tur. uh, I didn't ask them about it and I haven't seen it, but they had this little backpack system thing that looked like it was made for turkey hunters. Oh, uh, well that's a new, I don't know all the details. I'm not going to dive too much into it, but Lone Wolf Custom Gear has shown that and that that pro a prototype like theirs mm-hmm. um like last but right before last season and they haven't come out with theirs yet but the prototype that i saw and i don't know how they if they still work together or how they do all that but the prototype i saw that's it the one xop came out with if we're talking about the same thing what i'm talking about is basically it's like a flat like if you cut like everything off the back of backpack except for like the part that touches your back. It's basically, you just strap your stand to it. Um, a lot better than just like those little seatbelt straps that the stand. Yeah, no, they had that. I'm not talking about that. They had that and they did that. That did look like a pretty cool, uh, comfortable, comfortable backpacking system for a stand. They had a backpack. But it wasn't a bag. It looked like a turkey vest. I think it was a turkey. It was a turkey product, and it oh, had so it had like the fold down seat under your butt, you know, detached yeah. with the open back. Like it was a turkey vest, but it was in their green huh. color. Um, I haven't really found much about it. Uh, and honestly, I haven't I, seen that at all. I didn't see it the first time I went by. I saw it the last time as I was kind of moving through. So I'll say this. Yeah. I didn't. Uh, excuse me. I'm yawning. I didn't. Um. 
I didn't get to take a real good look at it because I was just walking by. It wasn't one of the times that I had made to stop and look. And so I only briefly, and I thought to myself, that looks like they did a good job with that. And I wish I could have looked at it a little bit more. Um, but anyway, uh, as far as other things, um, I don't know. Uh, not a whole lot, really. I mean, a lot of a lot of rebranding and remaking of existing things. And again, I was there to work, so I didn't get to really. Um, kind of drill down on that and i'll say there's a lot of innovation and and changes happening in the mobile industry i mean everybody's between saddles and lock-ons and climbing sticks and all that uh there's a lot of that happening you see an emphasis on that so i don't know um ata is a real interesting thing if you can find a way to get into it um you got to go through a vendor or retailer to get you a badge and all that kind of stuff if you can ever find a way to visit it it's pretty cool um as far as local at home goes, I haven't hunted much. Um, it's just kind of been the doldrums and the weather's not doing us any favors. It's been the crappiest January I can remember in a long time weather-wise. Um, it's uh, I've been hoping to get more cooler days and more higher pressures for feeding patterns. I love hunting that in the late season and not getting a lot of it, getting a lot of humidity, a lot of heat, a lot of quick rainy and then but i'll say this one thing i'll say uh and i know something you've been working on yourself my food plots are doing well and they're paying off um i am not hunting them but i have cameras on them and the deer are pounding the food plots at night and that's honestly as a bow hunter who's hunting mixed pine timber with six-year-old seven-year-old pine plantation i'm not planting food plots expecting to shoot very many deer over them i'm just not that doesn't mean that I don't have some box stands and I don't want to be able to have kids be able to go hunt them. And, you know, my right. buddy's little boy killed his first deer over one of our food plots this year, and that's awesome. But yeah. it, as much of an emphasis as that, and I hope as the pines get bigger, we can we can get in a tree and hunt those plots a little bit more. But the, much of the emphasis for me is to, is to strategically plan so that this time of the year when – the brows and the acorns and everything is is all that's changing. I want to offer very readily available good nutrition, so the deer don't have to wander to the neighbor's corn feeder and get shot for uh, for one reason. But just not only that. I mean that that's good. Uh, it's good nutrition for the deer, and so I'm I'm happy about that. I'm at least watching a lot of deer pound these food plots every single night. And uh, that gives me reason to believe that, you know, I'm doing good with my herd. I know you've been doing tell, – tell tell me, you mentioned before the podcast you wanted to talk a little bit yeah. about – you. what was it, a couple – last week? Yeah, last episode I was, yeah, I you was talked asking about you it. and Levi about plots and what y'all plant and how you hunt them, if you hunt them, all that stuff. So since then I've completely dove, dove off into uh, – the deep end with these food plots and what I find that found out one of the things is, and maybe you know this and maybe I'm about to sound really, really stupid, but for the past five or so years, we have planted mostly rye grass. And that from my research is the worst thing 
that you can plant and deer do not really eat it at all. And I've noticed, I've, I've been wondering over the past couple of years, I'm like, our deer are not using our food plots. Well, it's because they don't eat what's in the food plot. So here's what I know. Yeah, it's cereal grain rye is what you should be planting, and it's different than ryegrass. So here's what I know about ryegrass. Like, are y'all planting Marshall rye? Maybe, like the ryegrass seed from the like store the that, that you can put in your yard to make it grow. The like, stuff they spray on on work sites to yes. prevent erosion. Yeah. Okay. So here's what I know about that, and I don't. I'm not. I don't know everything about it, but I, here, let me let me let me repeat. Uh, go back. Not what I know about that. Here's what I've always been told about that. How's that? Um, <laughs> <laughs> there is a period of time where deer do eat that. Like when you when you go down the highway and they've done road work on the medians and there's all this fresh right. ryegrass and there's deer hitting it they do eat it but it's the the window of time is small and it this is the terminology i've always heard when it gets sour to the deer so when it gets to a certain age it looks pretty but it's sour yeah. and the deer it's not that palatable to the deer and yeah. so i think there are other kinds of rye that have that are better in that regard, uh, yeah. palatability and all that kind of stuff. And so I think that probably what's happening is if y'all are planting that prime, people people have always planted that primarily because it's the easiest thing to grow. Right. It will and literally grow. Yeah, it'll That's, grow on concrete. You know, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it it'll it, it's cheap and it's easy and it looks really good if you you can create a green carpet the problem is i think there is a small small window of time where the deer are going to eat it enough for it to be really worth your time and then that's yeah. probably happening early as i understand it that is early in the cycle when it sprouts for the first whatever it's good it's it's tender and it's young and all that but then it, it at some point as it gets older and taller and everything it gets sour and the deer don't really eat it so you're right yeah. that that's what i've always heard about it Yep, so I started watching videos, and one guy's like, yeah, you don't want to plant ryegrass. And I'm like, huh, interesting. And then the next video was like, you definitely don't want to plant ryegrass. I'm like, shit. <laughs> well, I think another thing that happens. So that's just something I, I never, I've never dove off into that. And like I said, I'm a lot younger than y'all, yeah. and I'm learning about all this. And so don't make that mistake. I think <laughs> another thing that happens is – People see these green fields in the fall, and they assume they're ryegrass because it looks like ryegrass, and I think most of them are probably winter wheat. Yep, winter wheat. Because that's something that deer, when you see an ag field, and they go harvest the beans or the corn, and they drop grass, they're dropping winter wheat. Yep. And it looks like ryegrass from a distance, if you're looking at it from the road or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I think, but yeah, no, I mean, that's definitely, that should help you. Yep, so... I've dove off into all that, and so that's been pretty cool. I'm, I'm already, <laughs> you know, we still have days left in the season, and I'm already, part of me is already looking forward to <laughs> next year and improving all this and everything, so. Mm. Yes, it's, it definitely is a rabbit hole, um, maybe a black hole is a better way to put it. Land yeah. management and food plotting and stuff like that, it takes on a life of its own. I I spent most of my life as a younger guy 
hunting with my dad, obviously as a kid and then younger man, joining deer leases and stuff and watching people do it. And then really over the last seven or eight years, I've, I've actually been able to manage some of my own properties, my own leases and stuff like that and started doing it myself and taking what I learned by helping other people. And it is an absolute, um, it's an addiction yeah, you know, um, to 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 me anyway. I I have literally gotten to where there are major major parts of land management and stuff like that that I can without a you know without a shadow of a doubt say that at this point are more attractive to me than actually hunting. Yeah, you know, um, and and so yeah. that's uh you know figuring out what kind of food plots work and and seeing those. Like I said, it's honestly almost a similar like what i'm seeing right now knowing how good i mean these food plots were planted in october and seeing them really be at their best as far as usability and what their purpose was now all this time later and all the work that went into it back then is yeah, uh, it's good it's almost as good as going and sitting over one and and seeing the deer come out there or you know yeah. getting a chance to shoot the deer out there uh, just knowing that. And so, I mean, I really transitioned a lot of my cameras to the plots back in December just because I wanted to start watching that progression of the deer using the plots. So, uh, we're going to talk to Slade Priest on this episode. We were talking about land management, and, and Slade is, as you guys know, the hunting land man um, is the name of his, uh, it's kind of his moniker online. It plays into what he does. It, you know, he's a... Uh, uh, land sales real estate guy really focused on hunting properties and um i have recently you know saw and met up with slade at the ata show and and we've been talking and so it's always good to catch up with slade so uh, we're going to give him a call and talk to him slade priest joins us as our guest on this episode you know him as the hunting land man you hear his uh advertisements here on podcast good morning slade how's it going Good morning, good morning, like we're doing good this morning. It is a, uh, actually got some cool weather for the first time in a, a week or two in southwest Mississippi this morning. Yeah, it did. It felt, it felt a little different, the rain we got last night, and, uh, it has been very humid and muggy for quite a while. Um, I ran into you recently at the ATA show, and, uh, I was, was curious, was there anything new or, uh, kind of maybe any, changes to to some existing stuff out there in the market that you saw at ata that kind of caught your eye i tell you um you know i'm i'm i've been a gear junkie well let me say uh, uh i've been i've been going to atas and shop shows since 2000 and i'm like a kid in the candy store it don't matter who i'm sponsored by or whatever i want to go put my hands and touch everything and something i started saddle hunting this year um still learning a whole lot about setup and packing and I've always been love being mobile. Like how light can I make my lock on? How can I do my steps? How can my climber pack easier? And man, some of the innovations with every company, uh, from millennium to, uh, XOP, all a trophy tree stands, everybody's coming up with innovations to be more, uh, you know, to be more mobile. And that is so cool to me. You know, that a guy don't matter for me, you know, hunting in the south, most of the time we're hunting over feed, and I've already got my setups. But if the wind changes, 
or I need to go hunt a little scrape line. I want to get in here. But the main thing, when I go to the Midwest and hunt our stuff, and we're buying and selling farms constantly up there. And if you're if you're got a brand new farm, man, you don't don't want to go hang ten lock ons, you know. And to be mobile and the way these companies are doing stuff, uh, there's a company called Elevate that had some really cool lock ons. They were just down from your booth, uh, yeah. not too far. Uh, that had some really cool stuff. Yeah, um, Colin and I both. Uh, Colin, even more so than me, or is <laughs> much, very much a gear junkie, and we've we've been. Colin's been saddle hunting for a couple of years. I've really kind of started doing it, I guess, more diligently. I bought a saddle. I actually bought my first saddle at ATA last year and came home and hunted with it those last couple of weeks of, of our season. And then uh, this year I've hunted in it quite a bit. And I, I agree with you. It's it's one of the parts of, of the industry where innovation is kind of really on the rise. You know, it seems like in a lot of places – it's tapped – I don't want to say tapped out, but it starts to plateau. You know, that if people – something gets very popular in the, in the marketplace, and they they make it, and they change it, and they make it, and they change it, and then they get to a point where, I mean, it's – you know, there's only so kinda much like, they can do. Kind of like where we are with the bows right now, I feel like. Yeah, it feels that way somewhat, but I agree with 100%, you. 100%. 100%. You can take a bow – look, and I've been sponsored by Bear Expedition, and I've shot Hoyt and Matthews. And, look, I've shot them all, and y'all have two – Every year, somebody makes the best one, and every year, there's a different name on it. We just all kind of like Ford, Chevrolet, Toyota. We kind of all like the ones we like to shoot. And I've been sitting by other pro staff guys, and we go to hunting camps together, and we both get the brand-new bows that nobody has seen yet. We both shoot beside each other, and we can both look at each other, and we don't have to say anything. We know which one shot better that year, and it's not the same every year. Yeah, the the mobile market – you know, like you said, all these companies are coming out with some pretty cool stuff because I guess the demand in the marketplace drives the innovation, right? You know, and people are demanding that, so they're they're putting engineers to work and they're coming up with some 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 cool stuff. I agree with you. I saw a lot of a lot of cool stuff from a bunch of those companies and uh, those steps that Latitude had right over by your booth, oh, those yeah. carbon steps, pretty pretty <laughs> impressive. Yeah that that was very impressive and. Um, I knew I knew somebody was going to do that. Like last year, somebody there was a couple of people working on that kind of material and that kind of one one piece molded design. And um, I'm curious to see how it bears itself out. You know, uh, if they have any problems. Or... I'm curious to see. Yeah, cold weather, uh-huh. uh, packing. You know, do you get a stress fracture? I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see how how it uh, how it works. Out. But it, like you said. They are stepping up the game. It is crazy. Uh, even even the you know we go, we're talking about saddles. Even the lock on setups and the climber setups. What was mm-hmm. it? Uh, Lone Wolf Custom Gear came out with a climber that's just super cool. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, that's uh, definitely definitely a innovating company. And the XOP, you know, is attached to them, and and they're 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 kind of leading the way with that. They're definitely some very interesting interesting uh tree stand stuff going on but uh yeah i just i was curious to know uh what you thought i i kind of felt the same way as you did um that's kind of the at least in ata you know for people that don't know ata is the archery trade association so it's it's focused on archery i mean there's a lot of hunting stuff uh there but it's it's kind of focused on archery and in the archery world mobility lightweight packability that's kind of the 
I hate to say fad, but it's the trend, you know. Yep. That's where a lot of the innovation is. Uh, out, outside of that, man, tell us a little bit about your hunting season. I, 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 obviously, you are filming for uh, your digital series, and outside of that, you just hunt a lot. And I know you got a, at least a couple pretty cool stories, so tell us how the season's gone. Man, we had an incredible season. I, uh, You know, we've been focused on making good TV and stuff like that for a lot of years. And I'm going to tell you, uh, I shot, I just shot a lot of deer this year and some good ones. I, I've had more, I probably had more fun this season than I had in a long time. Uh, my producer, cameraman Caleb, you know, he's a passionate whitetail hunter and bow hunter. And, and we've had fun hunting together. That's huge because almost every time I hunt, somebody's in the stand with me. Um, we started off the season kind of, uh, kind of shot an elk, couldn't find it, uh, and actually made a good shot, uh, and just couldn't find it. If you hadn't seen that episode, I, I thought I'd have bet you $10,000 that it would have been less than 200 yards. And, and, uh, I don't know if he ain't running around, but anyway, did that. I was, I was disappointed that I did not find that elk. And when you, when I talk about it, it is, it's bow hunting. And if you hadn't seen the episode and the piles of blood and where I shot the elk, you know, you, you really don't understand. And my equipment was good. I hated that I didn't find the elk, but it was one of those things that if you bow hunt, this is going to happen. It's the first elk I ever lost. Uh, we started, as soon as we got home, we had the uh, velvet season in Mississippi. First hour, we see our shooter. He never comes in. And then it was just slow grind, man. We shot some does opening day. Um, you know, uh, shot another doe before we went to Kansas. Got to Kansas. And we were on some big deer. Probably the, one of those stories I'll tell for the rest of my life. First day in Kansas, uh, the wind wasn't right to hunt these spots. I've hunted this spot for 16 years, this, this area. Uh, we had two big deer we were hunting. And, and I mean this 100%. We thought both deer would go around 180. Uh, um, and so, the, you know, we were, hopes were high when the wind got right. Finally, second day, afternoon, wind got right, mid-October. We slid in there, and we were kind of of the opinion, didn't matter which one came in, we were going to, you know, there was a good chance we were going to see one of them, and we didn't care which one came in, of course, we are shooting it. And I like the big wide deer better, but who cares? They're both giants, you know, both booners. Mm-hmm. And um, we see the big wide deer first. Um, he's a mainframe nine-point kickers on his twos and his threes. As I know this now, and you'll at the end of the story, you'll know why I know all this. As a mainframe nine point, he scored over 180. The deer ended up being 191. He comes out there walking straight to us, making scrapes, gets in a fight with a three or eight point, and they have a heck of a fight. I can't believe this big five, six year old deer is, you know, fighting this three year old and having that good of a fight. Well, then he runs over about 70, chasing that buck off. And uh, then he just kind of makes some scrapes and just never comes in. In the middle of all that, we got deer everywhere. I look to my right, and the deer I killed. Come walk. I said, get on him, Caleb. Get on him, Caleb. He walked up there 20 yards. I heart shot him. He ran over and fell. We're 30 minutes before dark. Well, the other deer didn't know what happened because there was so much chasing going on with that fight and all. He comes in the 18 yards. So to end this story, I killed a 183 and had a 191 I had to let go before dark. I don't know if I'll ever be able to tell a story about that. So Randy Birdstone with Headhunters was hunting with us at camp that week. I told Birdstone, I said, you ought to come film me and and I, if, if the other one comes in, we can shoot. So if he would have came filming, we could have 183 and a 191. But my best deer ever, uh, deer's really a main, my deer was a mainframe nine point with uh, a bunch of kickers all on his brow. So, uh, when you see the pictures, you're like, oh, you don't want to look 183. 
Uh, you know, realistically, he's like a 170-inch deer with a bunch of trash, uh, but still a giant and, um, and a great hunt. We left there, went to my place. We started buying land, buying and selling land in Missouri. We left there, went to Missouri, kind of kind of got things ready for our hunt later in the year. Just stayed two days, saw a bunch of deer, but no shooters. Got out of there two weeks later, uh, first week in November, uh, we went to Missouri. Uh, first morning, I have an ultimate predator decoy, a doe I put on in front of my bow, and I just didn't want to try it. So we put a decoy out uh, and uh, on the edge of a big cornfield, and then I had the ultimate predator decoy. And within the first hour, we had three bucks within range and me sitting there on the ground with a doe decoy on the front of my bow, which was uh, pretty awesome. Uh, that afternoon, we hang, we hung, hung a stand and crawled immediately in it. Had a mid-150s come by, almost killed him. If you watch my Instagram, the one that I grunted up, that uh, it's got a bunch, the reel has a bunch of views on it. Um, that deer came in, almost killed him. Then I, sh- then I, right at dark, I actually thought it was the same deer, different deer. Shot a mid-150s, 10.48 yards. As soon as I shot, he turned to me just a little bit. Liver shot him. We got him the next morning. Ended up, uh, my partner Ryan and the farms that Sunday during rifle season killed the deer that we saw at first. Uh, and, uh, they were both mid fifties. And then on the opening day of rifle season, so I, I killed my buck mid fifties. Great. On the open day of rifle season a couple of days later, which I'm not a big rifle hunter, but Ryan wanted me to stay so we'd have a fun camp. And in Missouri, you get your second tie once rifle season starts. So an hour and a half after daylight, this big 130-something-inch eight-point, big, massive, mature sucker comes in chasing those, and I popped him. So I've got both of my tags filled on the first day I hunted with those tags in Missouri. So that was um, that was pretty – that was my Midwest run. And, and as fast as I said it, uh, it really seemed like it happened that fast. Yeah, that's – the Midwest but, uh, is special, isn't it? Go, it, yeah, and man, it can it can be slow, but it was not slow that year. Yeah, it, it seems mean? like like in the Midwest, like what you just explained is not even that uncommon. Like that's not even out of the realm of possibilities for for to happen. It's just not. It's just crazy and, to me. And 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 you know, it, it, I know people listening here, like my podcast, like y'all's podcast, most people from the south, and look. They're not on y'all been up there. It's not, they're not under every rock behind every tree. I hunted a farm we owned last year that had 17, it was 360 acres, had 17 deer over four years old on camera and some giants. And man, it was a grind. I couldn't hardly get on a deer. And, and it's just, you know, how up there it's so different about the rut and when, what they're doing and, and, and lockdown. It's just happened so much different than down here. Uh, but that's what makes it fun. And for me, what's been even more rewarding is all our Missouri stuff and stuff we own, you know, so it's, uh, you know, yeah, we, that's put, cool. we, we put, we put our money where our mouth is. We buying farms, flipping farms, improving farms, and, uh, it's working out good for us. So far, Ryan and I both killed both our bucks. And the interesting statistic is we were hunting a three thirty four and a one sixty um, acreage. And uh, we killed all four bucks in one plot. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'd like just kind of uh, as a side note to, to what we're talking about here, because we, we end up talking about, obviously, on this podcast, one of the most popular 
topics that that gets brought up in so many different ways is is the rut because we're all kind of chasing the rut all over the country in different ways throughout the season. What is your opinion and your you know your experiences between hunting up in the Midwest every year and and obviously managing property and hunting down in the South? What what is your opinion about the primary differences between why the rut is so different for us in the South than it is, you know, being much more defined and everything in the Midwest? What what do you think the main factors that in play at that? One big topic you have before you start any rut conversation is you have to ask the definition of what the rut is for somebody because, you know, that's a different definition. Um, one thing, you know, in the Midwest, you can see it so much more. You know, the, you know, you, you, you get, can see so much more. You know, I tell people, my buddy, I was talking to a ATA from Indiana. I was telling him, you know, like, like we, I may hunt an 800 acre place that may not have a field over a quarter acre. You know, and that's because, you know, it's a logging place and they don't, I mean, a timber place and they don't have nothing. You know, the only, only thing that may be bigger is a pipeline right away, you know, or something like a small pipeline right away. And so you see it more. Um, you know, our deer, uh, and, and in the South, that is a loose term because I hear where I am and look, I can tell you exactly what the rut does in Centerville, you know, Wilkinson County, Amick County. Adams, Franklin, I can tell you exactly because I cast a wide net with all my clients and I talk to people about land and hunting every day all around here. Now, like you can get down towards Clinton, towards Beach Grove Road and Idlewild, south of town, Clinton, Louisiana, and that rut is different because LSU brought in a bunch of deer and did a bunch of research and a lot of those deer had northern genetics, so you have a staggered rut. Now, I think nature was, is going to kind of fix that you know, when we get a couple more generations deer in, but so, so, you know, just cause your deer in, I'm just throwing places out the Tearsaw Parish may rut during these days. You know, the South is a, uh, it's a mixed bag. Now I'll say this and I'll argue with somebody to the, in, in Woodville, Centerville, when we talk about the rut, you know, what's your definition of rut? The peak breeding in Southwest Mississippi happens from Christmas to January now, I did not say you won't see deer chasing before or after. I did not say that, that, that you know, um, that's going to be your best hunting. But the peak breeding, this is when the does get bred. The Christmas to January 5th would in the Midwest be November 5th to November 15th, if you will. Uh, that's, that's how I would define it. Now, I like, now, weather, you know, weather factors into everything, but just before Christmas, some of your best hunting. I've always said if I had to hunt one day, I like December 26th. And lo and behold, I killed my deer, my, my shoot, six-year-old shooter this year on December 26th in the morning. Um, you know, it's they're always doing it. And when I say, when I, and this is uh, low fences, high fences, I've guided on a lot of high fences. And in southwest Mississippi, they're all native genetics because they have to be, or the ones I've guided in that. And what I call when the peak breeding is, is when you take a five-acre green field and a five-year-old buck follows a doe into the field and he fights everything away from it. He's got that doe lock. You've seen this in the Midwest. He's planning on breeding that doe as soon as she'll let him. And then once she does, he's on to the next one. Um, so I, I, to answer your question, is depend, you know, depends on what your definition of the rut. Now, I'll go to Vines or I'll go to uh, Whitetails and Woodville on, on November 28th. Man, I saw buck chasing a doe this morning. Deer just do that. 
That's just deer behavior. It's not. And look, on February 15th, somebody will see seven bucks chasing a doe because that's the last girl at the bar. Everybody's chasing her. You're right. Yeah, being able to, I, I, I was having this conversation with a buddy of mine really last night because I have property here in East Feliciana around that Idlewall area. And, you know, we still get pictures of, of little bucks nudging does around, but is there a late doe? Possibly. But that, like you said, that's just how they act. They, you know, the bucks are, they're still trying to, to, to get, every last bit that they can and they're still going to come out there and nudge those does around around food sources and stuff especially the young ones but what exactly is the rub and i think the the primary thing um i guess kind of two primary factors when you go up to the midwest uh, what you said is is where my mind you can see so much more there's just so much more visibility to see these deer when they're when they're doing this uh, this ritual of the rut and they're acting the way that they do and and you know like you said you, you you can have a large piece of property with you know no more than 300 400 yard straight line visibility on a thousand acres and you go up to the midwest and pretty much you know if you hit it just right every buck in the area is going to be in in one crp field in one at one time or the other during the day where the does are and uh, you just get to, to, to visualize it. And then I think the days of opportunity and the pressure have, have a little bit to do with it, too. But I want I want you to tell us, I know that the, the deer that you killed here December 26th was pretty special deer to you. So uh, I, I'd like for you to just tell us a little bit about the, the history behind that. That's a pretty cool story. Yeah, and actually, uh, and this is a cool thing, it's the smallest deer I killed all year. Uh, now, he's a six-year-old deer. Um uh, right around 130. I thought the deer was much bigger. If I sent y'all all, if y'all seen a bunch of trail cam pictures online, I thought the deer was mid 140s. And he was just a small bodied deer. We called him El Diablo. Uh, I don't know why. Just that's uh, what we called him. Just stuck uh, somewhere. And um, yeah, I don't know why that was. But anyway, I, we've had pictures of him three years. I he's I feel like he's a six year old now. Last year I killed a seven year old early, and I on this particular place. It's a place I hunt with permission with a buddy of mine, just me and him hunt it. And after I killed my big seven-year-old opening week, I didn't hunt bucks on that place all year. I'll go shoot some does, and my focus then slides to other places and getting my buddy a deer. So I've been real particular this year and um, and, and hunting hard. We've had several encounters with El Diablo. Uh, my buddy I hunt on had had a, uh encounter with him. I actually took a picture of him with a cell phone. He said, I got this giant 10 point on here when he sent me the picture. I said, well, that's him. And, uh, we primarily bow hunt out there. And, um, so just the fun, the, the, one of the most fun things about this deer was he was daylighting a decent amount. And so like he was playing the game and it was aggravating. He had, I think he knew my preacher every Sunday when I walked in church, my phone would go off and he would be standing somewhere like at a scrape or at a feeder or something. It's like, it's like he knew it. My, my preacher's son's a big hunter. He sits behind me in church. I said, look at this. Every time I walk in church. And, um, anyway, uh, so we hunt him hard, him hard. All right. Um, during 23rd, 24th and 25th, I was doing all Christmas stuff. I had be- that weather was here, that great weather we had. Deer were doing it like crazy, but, 
family first. I was doing stuff with family. Even El Diablo was, was, was moving around chasing those. Uh, one or two pitchers here and there at different spots. I got him scrapes and, uh, and, and feeders. And then, um, so cameraman Caleb was gone for Christmas. I said, all right, uh, it was going to be a good morning. And it was the first South win after a bunch of North, which is a good win. Caleb and I had hung a new set, um, close to a feeder, but not, not real close. Um, and, uh, you couldn't shoot it, you know, it's probably, it probably 50 yards. Uh, but anyway, it was for a Southeast win. And so I crawled in there an hour before daylight, got every self-filming, got everything set up, and everything is supposed to happen out in front of me. And uh, deer walking in before daylight, and as it gets daylight, man, it's, it's good. I got young bucks cruising, chasing, does moving around. Actually passed up a big four-year-old cull because I'm so focused on killing this one deer. And um, I'm texting, having a, you know, having a good morning. It was cold. It was just a great morning for hunting. And I hear something to my right. And I look, and El Diablo is coming out of a cutover, little transition area, hardwoods, where it comes to big pine plantation, cruising. And he never comes from that direction. I'm not set up for that shot. Um, everything's supposed to happen out in front of me. And the tree I'm in, uh, I've got two big tree trunks on both sides. They're a great cover, especially for late season like that. And I've got my camera arm hung on the front right of me, my front right knee. And my bow's hanging on the left one because everything's supposed to happen out in front of me. Anyway, uh, so he's coming in. I get the camera on him, and I'm just, you can hear my breath. I'm breathing hard, breathing hard, breathing. And he stops over there messing with a bush, like pole trailing or bow or something. And, oh, and he stops. And says, oh, I can get him right there. He's like 25 yards. I lock the camera down, and y- y'all who have self-filmed, you know, you know, you don't have much room, like, there once you grab your bow. So I grab my bow, pick it up, oh, camera and arm. And you can hear it on the camera. When I draw back, when I hit my anchor, he turns and comes right to me. And I knew in my mind that I had one or two steps either side of him or he was going to be out of the camera frame. And so as soon as he stepped out, he was like 23 yards, he took two steps. And as soon as he gave me a shoulder, I put it right behind it. And he ran over 40 yards and died. And and probably, you know, as rewarding a front as I ever had. Definitely, even more rewarding than the 183 I killed this year because the story. You know, the 183, I, I did see that deer the year before in Kansas, but I had not fed that deer and let that deer go. Fed for years, making sure he didn't get killed after I killed my primary buck. You know, I didn't just give up on him. I'm going to try to save everybody, if you will. I did that yesterday. I filled up feeders to try to save everybody for the next two weeks. Super rewarding. I went and got my little girl at three miles from my house, got my little girl. She helped me track it. And uh, it actually made it a little more special that I self-filmed and got it all done because it just, you know, it just makes it a little harder. But um, definitely a fun hunt before I end with my home hunting. Uh, so you'll see this in an episode I got coming up where I'm sitting right now, 500 yards from where I'm sitting is a, a food plot uh, at my home place. My little boy, uh, Bentley, killed a 130-inch uh, eight-point. I got great video of it, 500 yards from my house. And that one that one, and El Diablo was my two favorite hunts of the year because, and you'll hear it on the camera, I get way more emotional than Bentley pumped up after he killed him. Uh, that's just his mood in general and my mood in general. But that moment didn't happen for Bentley killing that big giant buck, uh, or what I call a giant here in Centerville. 
that moment didn't happen that afternoon. That moment happened in 07 when I started buying property and bought and sold and bought and sold until I could buy my own home place. And then pinch pennies where I could build the food plots and build my house out here. And so my family could hunt right here at the house. And then he killed this big deer that'll go on the wall and great video. That moment was, you know, that moment was 18 years in the making for me. So that was real special. Yeah, that, that, that is really cool. And, um, you know, one of the other things that, you know, it's obviously what you do and people that follow you online or, or, or have just heard your advertisement here on this podcast the last couple of years, you know, that's what you do and that's what you've committed your career to. And, you know, just kind of going back to, to, to us, you know, kind of the, the, the recent topic of the ATA show and, and I work in, in, in outdoor retail and, recession and, and economy and all that kind of stuff is a big talk uh, a lot of decisions are being made about uh, everything in the retail world based on that so I'm curious for you what do you in the land sale and specifically uh, you know people I, I guess the way I look at it people always gotta they gotta buy homes they gotta have a house you know but they don't have to buy hunting property and so where 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 do you think we're at as a as an economy in general? What what are you seeing in the land sale market? Well, this is the Louisiana Bowhunter podcast, and I do sell in the east and west Louisiana. We sell in Concordia Parish. I got a big one I'm selling right now. I live in South. I live four miles from the line. So we're all talking about, and even uh, most of your Louisiana bowhunters are going to end up coming to hunt in Southwest Mississippi. But to talk about that market. Fourth quarter, um, I kind of saw a slowdown. Interest rates were rising. I was like, okay, what's happening here? But, dude, as soon as Christmas happened, as soon as January 1st happened, the phone went crazy. Like, uh, I judge the market a lot of times by how many phone calls I'm on during the day. And last Monday by 2 p.m., I had been on 52 phone calls. So, uh, and then I had to quit answering because I had to go get out of deer hunt. Um, um, it is we have such a low inventory problem that we're a long ways from us slowing down in the land business. Uh, there's very few things on, on, on the market. When they do come on the market, they go fast, get a lot of showings. I got two showings today on a really nice property here in Wilson County. Um, in fact, we had to buy my dad's buggy because they're both at the same time. And, uh, and I've got another agent come to help me and we're going to both show it at the same time. Um, people, I think COVID as the whole world, we kind of changed some things. And one of the things we changed is what, you know, people who paid 150 baseball games a year or swimming or golf or wrestling, you name your sport with kids, you know, a lot of times they had to slow down and go recreate. And if that was camping, RVing, hunting, fishing. And I think a lot of those people got back to their roots, if you will, and said, man, me and the family, we really enjoyed this. And I think that um, it's nothing but good. We have a lot of outside factors where I'm from. Uh, you know, Baton Rouge is becoming more and more of a, a city, a mini New Orleans uh, for a lot of reasons. And people are coming. You see, like, um, Clinton. Clinton, I feel like, is going to be the Zachary that I grew up with soon. Uh, you know, Norwood, that, that was nobody ever wanted to move. And I'm talking about East Feliciana stuff. Nobody ever wanted to move to Norwood. Now, 15 acres at a home site in Norwood would have cost you 15 grand an acre or 20 grand an acre. 
West Feliciana, you know, St. Uh, Francisville was always a cool town. But now, I mean, I talked to somebody yesterday about four acres in West Feliciana for 40,000 an acre. Now, this is home sites different than recreational land. But we have a lot of external factors that's really we're blessed with a great market. We have great recreation. Um, and nobody, we definitely need not take that for granted as, you know, as we invest in our area and think about our area. We have great recreation and we have a great market for land. If you ever want to sell your land in this area, it's, the rest of the country is not like our area. We're, we're a special. And you think, oh, dang, we live in, the, in nowhere America. It's a special place for a lot of reasons. And even even though we may say the Midwest is better hunting, this place is better hunting, or got more turkeys or more deer, we do live in a very special area. Yeah, we do. And uh, I always find myself in conversation with guys that like to manage property, and, and, and they, I, I don't know, um, they see the value in kind of growing your own place and stuff like that. And people talk about, getting a farm in the Midwest and all that kind of thing. But, you know, one of the great things about where we live, and this is all across the state, not just southwest Mississippi and and uh, southeast and southern Louisiana, but the days of opportunity we have in outdoor recreation is just so vastly different. And, you know, you go up to the Midwest to a farm that's that's got a lot of whitetail or turkey or maybe even waterfowl, uh, hunting features to it that's a it's a it's a much smaller window of opportunity than what we have we're blessed to be able to take a piece of property and do so much more for so many more days of the year than a lot of other parts of the country that it makes a lot more sense to invest in um in property that you you know for your family or for your you know whatever your purposes are and i think it'll always be I think your job will always be uh, unique in that regard. Do you you agree? I mean, people just can do so much more I with do. the property they buy down here. I do. I mean, you just, you know, there's so much. Uh, you're always doing something on the farm up here. If you buy 100 acres, you know, there's always something to clip a feeder to fill. Uh, our seasons are so long, which don't get me started on that. That's a bad mm-hmm. thing, too, mm-hmm. uh, as far as trying to grow big, mature deer. But, you know, it is. Look, I, I, I'm buying and selling stuff in the Midwest, but the, my main focus is buying and selling. And the only when I buy and sell, if you ever watch my episodes or see what I'm doing, if I'm buying something, the only reason I buy and sell stuff here is not for the money it makes. I buy and, I never take any of it. I'm building acreage for my family to hunt. That is my passion. I've got a 600-acre place that I want to buy one day, not far from my house, and I've got to buy and sell and flip enough land to be able to buy it. That's my that's my passion for what I want to do. I went to the uh, the other afternoon. Um, I was clean twelve twenty six. I was cleaning my buck, finishing cleaning him, uh, pictures and all that. We put him in the cooler uh, early in the day and took pictures that afternoon when cameraman Caleb got here. And my wife was hunting here on our home place and missed a big eight point with her boat. I want stuff like that for my. I've got a five year old and a twenty one month old. That's what I want for my kids for the next twenty years is. For me to take my buggy or my tractor and, and bring them hunting, you know, within five miles of our house right here, that's special to me. Yeah, it is. I uh, That is very special. Um, I hope to be able to do that myself one day, and I uh, I can understand 
your passion for it. Well, you've been on this podcast a couple of times, and we greatly appreciate you uh, supporting the podcast through your advertisement and stuff like that. And I know people have heard, but before you jump off, go ahead and tell everybody where they can find your your media and where they can search for your listings and all of that. Give them the, the, the one, two, three on all that. Well, I'm pretty much hunting land man They're on everything. And you know, Slade Priest is my personal huntinglandman.net and huntinglandmans.com is my website. Uh, Instagram is probably where I'm most active as far as social media. Uh, the new show, Hunting Land Man TV, if you haven't seen it. So Hunting Land Man TV is a real estate slash hunting show. Uh, we are, um, you know, we're showing you how to buy land, how to improve land. Of course, we're hunting and killing big deer and, and turkeys on there, too. But we're showing you, I started buying all this land that I have. I started with 12 acres and a house trailer. I am giving away the free secret sauce on how you do that because it is so cool to me to watch somebody, you know, nobody gave me a bunch of money to be able to afford the, the lands and things that I have. I started small with the money I made from guiding and, and have just bought and sold and put sweat equity into places in the buy now. And look, I was fortunate my parents, kind of taught me how to do that people i've been around i'm giving away as free secret sauce on the hunting land man tv show and the podcast we're showing you how to do a little bit of everything um you know uh, we're we're doing a, a series called cribs also of you know i'm showing you different clients of mine's places and how they set them up so when you get your dream place you got ideas on how to do it uh, um but uh check us out hunting land man tv it's on waypoint and uh the week after it comes on waypoint it is on um it is on uh, YouTube, so uh, Hunting Land Man uh, on YouTube and Hunting Land Man pretty much on everything. Well, that's very cool. Encourage people to check you out, and thank you for taking time this morning to talk with us. And uh, I know you've had a great season, but whatever you got left, I wish you good luck with that. And uh, we'll be talking. We got to you cold soon. front moving in next week. Cold front moving yep. in next week. You need to be in a tree. I think it's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, somewhere in there. They're going to be hungry. These acorns are running out. Get in the tree. Yep. Good advice. Well, good luck to you, man, and thanks again for taking the time this morning. Thank you, man. Y'all be good. Big thanks to Slade for taking the time. We always appreciate not only his support of the podcast, but him coming on. Um, He had a great season, and, you know, we were talking in the intro about how cool it is to manage property and stuff like that, and uh, I wanted to have him on and, and get him to tell a few stories about a season because he's seen a lot of that come to fruition himself this year on his local properties and killing that that deer that was old that he'd been after on property that he's been managing for a while. And that's, that's super cool. Um, wanted to make an announcement, honestly, uh, uh, on this podcast that that I don't even know, Colin, you really don't even know that much about this. So surprised. Um, you mentioned, you heard Slade mention, you can find him on, on waypoint TV. So if you're not familiar with waypoint, Waypoint is a digital media platform similar to my outdoor TV or anything like that. Streaming service for focused to hunting and fishing and outdoor content. They also have a podcast platform. We're going to be moving over to that platform, both here with Louisiana Bowhunter as well as the Scree Country podcast. If you started listening to that, I mentioned that Scree's our, our sponsor here. On the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast, and I'm obviously one of the hosts of the Scree Country Podcast. We're going to be moving to that platform, offering us a lot as podcasters. Um, that may not mean too much if you if you 
get your podcast on iTunes or Spotify, you'll still be able to do that. But uh, just did want to make mention of that, and I want to encourage you guys to go out and check out Waypoint. You can find Slade's show there, and a lot of things that you're searching around on YouTube and other things. Um, Waypoint kind of collects it all together, and it's a free app. You can get it on Roku and basically any kind of smart service. Yeah, uh, it, it's. I mean, to my understanding, I've looked at it a little bit. Is isn't it just like a free My Outdoor TV? Yep. Yep. Now, that's what I, that's what there's subscriptions where you can get stuff. Like, I'm not there's gonna, a lot on there that's free, right? A whole lot of it's free. You can, yeah, like, you can, um, if you have, like, a Roku TV or Fire TV or even any, you can download the app, Waypoint. A phone, a phone app, too. Yeah, they have a website or phone app. You download the app, and you can tap into their libraries. They they do scheduled stuff. They do marathons. They do all kind of stuff, and I think you can buy a monthly subscription to it and get expanded services. But they have a podcasting platform and a video platform, and it is. I mean, some of the best, some of the best, most notable groups in outdoor entertainment are on there with you know um, all the big names. I'm not going to start throwing names out there, but you know who I'm talking about. Um, and uh, I just want to make mention of that because uh, I know. Uh, digital consumption is way up, and YouTube is can be pretty ad heavy. It can and all that kind of stuff, and it, it's not going to take the place of it. And then some of the other stuff, some of the other digital streaming services are subscription based, and uh, we're going to start using Waypoint as our podcast platform because it offers us a lot more as podcasters. Uh, to make our job easier, and so because of that, I thought I would throw a bone out there. I also want to, I also want to make another. This, you know, it's not really a, a an ad, so to speak. It kind of is. Just kind of give a shout out to our buddy Ken at Gotham Archery and Central. He's done a lot to help us out this year with Louisiana bow hunter, and uh, can't get him. I can't seem to nail him down on on giving me something to actually do him an advertisement. But I feel like. Uh, we definitely owe him um, a big thank you for helping out Louisiana Bowhunter. And I, I just want to say, if if you're reaching the end of the season and your gear's gone through hell or you got some new gear for Christmas and, and you just need help with um, archery training, um, setting up, changing, modifying, tuning your gear, or you're looking for indoor shooting area and you're in the Baton Rouge area or anywhere, I mean, it's in central Louisiana. So, and I don't mean Central Geographically, I mean the town of Central Louisiana, just outside of Baton Rouge. They've got an awesome facility with great indoor shooting opportunities. Ken's very knowledgeable, he's very trustworthy, and honestly, he goes above and beyond, and I've watched him do it for so many people, and, you know, I'm not even trying to be vague about it. We we operate some of Louisiana Bowhunter Fulfillment out of his warehouse, and he's worked with us and made that work for us, and we owe him a ton of thanks for just supporting small business. And uh, if, you, if you're in the Baton Rouge area and you're looking for a bow technician, you're looking for somebody to get, maybe do some, some shooting lessons, helping you you know, work through some things or helping you get your broadheads tuned or, or buying new equipment or setting up new equipment, Ken at Gotham Archery, uh, right next to Oak – is it Oak Point? Isn't that the name? Yeah, Oak Point. Right next to Oak Point off Sullivan and Central. Um. Uh, we owe we owe the guy a lot for helping us out this year and and into the future and want to encourage you guys 
with the new year about like i said if you've put your gear through some hell maybe you dropped it out of a tree or you got some new gear for christmas or something like that and you're looking for a trustworthy uh guy that you can go to and 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 get bow work done check out ken at gotham archery um kind of last thing to mention as we just kind of wrap up this episode uh we are still looking at our um our our film contest and that's you know right around the corner now so we're going to start opening up and sending out information for how to submit those videos really over the next couple of weeks so i hope everybody that listens you know has been planning for that we we keep reminding you that it's coming that it's coming that it's coming and uh it is it's here now and uh the seasons in louisiana start to wrap up really uh over the next couple weeks and then we do have a few units that go into february 15th so deer season in louisiana will be officially done by the 16th of february i'm I'm fairly certain pretty much everywhere but but specifically for our state basically one month away yep and so we're we're reaching the end anybody's got any property in uh in one of those units they want to let me hunt feel free to give me a (laughs) (laughs) i've never really gotten to hunt that february um i've never really gotten to hunt that february season because i've only had property in one of those units once and it was flooded both of the years i had it during that time Hmm. so i've never actually gotten to hunt that um i'd like to i'd like to do some media for scree during that that time but i gotta find somewhere to hunt to do it but um i always like late season hunting and you know how it goes. It's freaking colder and better in February when the season's closed than it is in January. That's how it goes every year. So, yep. um, But if you do, if there's somebody out there that is hunting that season and doing it successfully, I would love to talk to you on this podcast during that time period because I think that is an extremely interesting thing that our state has to offer that February season, and I don't know a lot about it, and I don't know a lot of people that do know a lot about it. So uh, if somebody knows of someone who, who does hunt that successfully year after year, I'd love to have that conversation with them. So um, you can reach out first on that. But uh, be getting your videos ready, getting your films ready for the, for the Louisiana Bowhunter Film Contest. Um, and uh, check out the website, pick up some gear. We're going to be doing a gear giveaway in January. And uh, all the same things, but the season's coming to an end. We appreciate everybody listening. It's been a pretty good year for Louisiana bow hunter. It's been a really shitty year for Locke and Colin when it comes to hunting. But um, nevertheless, enjoyed being able to get out there and and do it. And yeah. hate to see the season come to an end, but uh, it's it, it's one, getting one there. One last thing, Richard Davis. <laughs> we're trying to reach out to you to give you. So if you know Richard or if you are Richard, please reach out. We're trying to give you your uh, gear package. Uh, the camera and the, and the gear from us uh you won the giveaway in december so yeah we're gonna have to put a cap on that if somebody knows richard davis from Dusan, louisiana he he placed an order um on our website back in um december and we drew his name for the moultrie trail camera and the louisiana bow hunter gear and uh, we haven't gotten a response and he didn't leave his phone number in his customer profile on the order so all we have is the email um Tell them to reach out, and um, if not, we're going to have to draw another winner from that December uh, order. But anyway, uh, thank you guys so much for listening, and uh, we'll be we'll be back talking to you next week, hopefully with a, a cool story from Levi on his coos deer hunt 
and maybe some late season action. But uh, like Slade said, we got some cool weather coming through after the rain this weekend and into next week. I'm crossing my fingers and hoping for an exciting last primary week of the season. Hope you guys are uh, making plans. Get out there. Enjoy it because, as I always say, July is coming. (laughs) Everybody is tired. Everybody's like hunted and hunted and hunted and i just i've always been in that situation with groups of friends and camps where everybody's like man i'm just not you know i've been hunting yep. all it's year and they're wore out and i'm like let me tell you something i know you're wore out but that cold front in the last week of the season <laughs> july is coming and you're gonna be wishing that you could just go sit whether you thought you were gonna see a deer or not you're just gonna be wishing you could go sit on a cool day in the woods and instead you're gonna be worried about hurricanes and mosquitoes and um heat stroke so take advantage of it while you can but uh we appreciate it and we'll talk to you next week thank you for listening to this week's episode of the louisiana bow hunter podcast if you have anybody you'd like to hear on the show reach out to us at info at louisianabowhunter.com and if you want to help support louisiana bow hunter go by your local archery shop and pick up some merchandise if you don't have any at your local shop let us know and we'll reach out to them or pick up your gear at louisianabowhunter.com and we'll ship it out to you same day see you next week